Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19 today. Luke chapter 19. This is our second part of our series, Rethinking Church. We're going to begin with a very familiar story and make some application to us as a local congregation as we see God using us to bring about spiritual transformation in the lives of people. About 600,000 people a year have heart bypass surgery. And when they have that surgery, I've even been in some of those rooms after the surgery where I've heard the doctor say to those people, you're going to have to change your lifestyle. You're going to have to stop smoking. You're going to have to start exercising. You're going to have to get on a special diet. And I've, I've seen the look in the eyes of those family members who said, yes, we're going to make this change. But statistics show as those, those heart patients are interviewed years later that 90% of them don't follow the advice of their doctors. They make this decision that they're not willing to change their diet, they're not willing to change their habits, they're not willing to change things, and basically some doctors say to their patients, well, then you're making the choice to die. As I think about churches today and how so many churches in our nation are closing, some churches are choosing death, and here's what they're saying. When they're diagnosed with faulty uh, things that are taking place, when they're diagnosed with things aren't, aren't working for the kingdom, most many churches are saying, you know what, we would just rather die than change. Well, I thank God that Coastal Oaks doesn't have that attitude. Our attitude is we want to do whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel and lead them to become fully committed followers of Christ, and as we said last week, disciple makers. We're going to talk about that today, just a little bit of review. Last week, remember, we said that as pastor, my responsibility is to lead and protect the flock. That's what we're doing as we look at these changes. And as a church, our commission is to make disciples. We look at Matthew 28, where that's what Jesus said. As you go, make disciples of all nations. And, and in, we looked at Matthew 4.19, where Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fish for people, or fishers of men. And we, we saw that as a threefold definition of a disciple. Follow me, to, to, to commit our life to him, to commit to him being Lord of our life, and to being a drastic change from our life being motivated by ourself and surrender to him. Follow me, accepting him and his authority in my life. Secondly, he said, follow me and I will make you. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We talked about the fact that making us is that transformation part that the Lord Jesus has, his responsibility to to work in us and through us to change us. And then he said, I will lead you to fish for people or fish for men. And that's that part of the commandment that he's going to enable us to be involved in his commission. So let's look at that second part there, the, 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 the aspect of making disciples that looks at spiritual transformation. Luke chapter 19 Verse 1, he entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because I must stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to lodge with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have exhorted anything from anyone he had, I'll pay back four times as much. 
Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus, a tax collector. The Bible says that he was a rich man. He was a rich man because he was extorting money from people. He was a tool of the Roman government. He was one of those people who nobody wanted to do business with because he was always crooked. And he knew that, and the people knew that. And when Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today, that's what got the religious people up in arms. Why would Jesus go spend time with this person who's such an outcast, such a a person of society that nobody wants to deal with because he's so crooked? And then he makes a statement there, I'll give half my possessions to the poor in verse 8, and if I've extorted from anyone, I'll pay them back four times. And Jesus says, salvation has come to your house today. Jesus is not saying, because you're giving that money, you're getting salvation. He's saying, because you're willing to pay that money back, you're demonstrating that you've made a commitment of your life to me. Zacchaeus, transformed by the power of God. And we're going to look at five truths from this passage of Scripture as we think about being intentional in our church about spiritual transformation. Maybe an unlikely passage, but let's look at this. Number one, spiritual transformation is contagious. Spiritual transformation is contagious. Looking back through just the Gospel of Luke, I looked at these accounts and these stories that no doubt Zacchaeus had heard about. In chapter 4, there's the story of the demon-possessed man in Galilee who's healed by Jesus. In chapter 5, a man with leprosy is healed. In chapter 5 and later in that passage, the paralytic is lowered through the roof and and receives healing. There's a story in chapter 8 of another demon-possessed man. In chapter 8 also, the story of Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead. In chapter 9, the feeding of the 5,000. Another demon-possessed boy is healed in chapter 9. In chapter 13, a a woman who's crippled is healed. And in chapter 17, uh, the story is told of lepers who are healed. No doubt Zacchaeus had heard about this. And there's a sense of curiosity that would cause a wealthy, wealthy man lower himself to climb a tree so that he could see what was going on with Jesus. The, The reality that Jesus was changing lives all around Zacchaeus made him curious. Listen, folks, if our church is full of transformed people, the community will be curious. If our church is full of non-transformed people, there will be no motivation for the people in our society, in our city, in our town to want to know anything about Jesus. It is transformed lives that are contagious that cause people to want to know more about Christ. The greatest motivator for people to come to know him can be the changed lives of those Jesus is working in right now. I remember standing at the graveside of my, my dad, and I had, had not had this opportunity to tell this to a lady who was there, but she was my father's secretary decades ago. And it was her testimony and her witness and her changed life that impacted my father so that my father made this incredible commitment to Christ where he became totally sold out and, and yielded and transformed by the, the, by the, by the message of the gospel And I got to share with her how her transformed life and her living out her Christian life in front of my dad was what made my dad hunger for the Lord. And my dad hungering for the Lord is what gave me a hunger for the Lord. And I got to tell her, I'm in the ministry now because you were faithful to live out your transformed life in front of my dad. Folks, transformed lives are contagious. Now, there may be people like Zacchaeus or not like Zacchaeus who are going to climb a tree to see. Some are going to do whatever they can to find out what it is, but it's our responsibility to let the Holy Spirit transform us. It will be contagious. Number two, spiritual transformation results from intentionality. 
Looking at the story of Zacchaeus, this transformation in his life is a result of him being intentional. The Bible says he was trying to see who Jesus was in verse 3 there. And running ahead, verse 4, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus. The Bible says Nicodemus was intentional about putting himself in the path of Jesus. And I I love this analogy. I love this this picture. I I believe it's a a life picture of what Jesus does with us when we we are willing to place ourselves in the path of his grace. That's what Zacchaeus did. He was intentional. I, I have people, new people, often come to me and say, Pastor, what's next? What do I do next? And sometimes we're unable to tell them a clear, a clear next step to take. And that's one of the reasons why we're undergoing some changes here at Coastal Oaks. To be able to say to people, here's the path. Here's the next step that you can take. My part as a leader, Pastor Andy and myself as leaders of this congregation, we're, we're uh, working with the leadership team to design a disciple's path so that we can say to people, get on this path. This is the next step that you need to take so that God can do that transform- transforming work in your life. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this word down. We're going to look at several words today. Write down the word movement. Movement under that that number two point. Movement talks about the steps in the path that are going to move people toward greater and greater commitment and spiritual transformation. One of the things we're desiring to do is to structure a path, to structure a, a process in the life of our church where people will know what the next step is and they will move along to the next step. We want to put all of our our programs, all of our ministries, all of our emphases, our calendaring to where one event leads to the next, where a person moves along the path of spiritual transformation. Movement is important. That's why we're looking at some of the things we do, talking about how does, how does this event, how does this ministry move people from that to the next step in spiritual transformation. I, I think about a relay team and, and how important that handoff is when they have the baton. And they may be running a great race, but if they don't get it right... If they don't lay that baton out and the next person doesn't grab it like they're supposed to within the, the allotted uh, space that they have, they're not going to win the race. It's the handoffs. And that's one of the things we've, as we've evaluated our ministry at Coastal Oaks, we're, we're lacking in the handoffs. We're lacking in moving people from one step in spiritual growth to the next. What we want to be thinking and we're asking ourselves is, what's next? Now what? Now that a person has made this commitment to Christ, now what? Now that they've made that decision to be involved in a small group Bible study, now what? Now that they made a commitment to learn their ministry gifts and their giftedness, now what? We want to be able to answer those questions clearly for people. Movement, moving people through the process, that's so important. And we want to be intentional. We had our, when we first started looking at this, uh, this process and thinking about uh, looking at simplifying our ministry. We asked our leadership team, how many, and there were 20 people in the room, how many of you were, were specifically taken down a path or a, a process or some kind of a discipleship strategy that brought you to our Very few were. Most of us in that room were at a place of spiritual maturity because it just happened. It, we, just, we, it just, we were desiring it or God put circumstances, but there was no intentional plan. What I desire is that there be an intentional path where everybody, we could say, how many of you were led down a path of spiritual transformation? And most could say we were. You know the story of Charlie Brown? The Peanuts movie's on now for Christmas time. There's, there's, one, there's one cartoon where Charlie Brown is taking a bow and arrow and he shoots an arrow. And it lands, and he runs over with a marker, and he draws circles around the arrow. And then he shoots another one, he draws circles, and Lucy says, Charlie Brown, that's not the way you do target practice. And he says, I know, but this way I never miss. 
I really believe that we could step back and look at what Coastal Oaks Church is doing, and we could draw some circles around some good things. But folks, the target that we're shooting for is to make disciples who make disciples. And we're trying to re, uh, regroup and refocus some things so that we'll be able to do that. We want to move people to that target. Number three, spiritual transformation can be hindered by good people and good programs. Spiritual transformation can be hindered by good people and good programs. In Zacchaeus' story here, I would, I would assume that many of those people who kept Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus were people who were followers of Jesus. And Zacchaeus is just wanting a glimpse of Jesus, and he can't get that glimpse because the people of God, not intentionally, but just because of the way they're gathering around are keeping him from seeing Jesus. So that second, on that third point there is something for us to consider. Spiritual transformation can be hindered by good people and good programs. I want you to write down the word focus. We're going to be talking about this. We already have been praying about this for a year, this word focus. That's the commitment to abandon everything that falls outside of this path of discipleship. To say, we're going to focus on the main thing. And to abandon the other things. They may be good things. They may be things that have worked in the past. They may be things that helped you grow in your spiritual life. But they're keeping us from bringing others along that path. Focus, the commitment to abandon whatever falls outside that disciple's path. And we want to be reminded through this whole uh, time of transition that this my, my role in Coastal Oaks Church is not about me and my preferences. It's about the kingdom. And it's about our calling to make disciples who make disciples. I love Paul's statement in Philippians chapter 2 where he says that we're to make this, this attitude like Jesus Christ, our own attitude. Remember it says who humbled himself and submitted, him, uh, submitted himself to the Father even to the point of obedience to the place of death. And then he says that's the attitude we need to have where I put others above myself, where I put the kingdom above my own preferences and my own agenda. I do not want my church to get in the way. Can you say that? Personally, I don't want my church to get in the way of someone coming to Christ and someone growing in discipleship. We don't want that. And you say, Pastor, how could a church get in the way? Well, good people got in the way here of Zacchaeus. And I think as we look at some of our programs and ministries, they're going to keep us from getting to that goal of spiritual transformation. It's like congestion of traffic. When, you, when the traffic bottles up and you can't get through and you want to get through but there's congestion sometimes we have so many programs and ministries and we've evaluated how we get so busy on our calendar where there's so many things going on it's like a congested church and we're looking to clear that up I I want you to look at 2 Kings chapter 18 with me 1st and 2nd Samuel 1st and 2nd Kings right Old Testament the story of Hezekiah Well, that doesn't look right because I'm in 1 Kings. Did anybody make that same mistake? Chapter 18. In the third year of Israel's king, Hosea, son of Elah, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, became became king of Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king and reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. Verse 3, significant. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the high places, shattered the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. Let me just tell you what that is. Those were the the altars of pagan worship. 
They were worshiping Asherah, the, the pagan fertility goddess. They built these mounds, these high places where people went to worship. And Hezekiah did the right thing. He got rid of those pagan idols. A good thing that Hezekiah did. But look at this. The Bible says next, he broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses made. For the Israelites burned incense to it up to that time. And he called it Nehushtan, which has to do with the word bronze. Verse 5, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel. Not one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. He remained faithful to Yahweh, did not turn from following him, but kept his commands as the Lord commanded him. Now, I want, I want you just to look at what Hezekiah did. He was extremely focused. He, in, in that day, when you read your Old Testament history, you see that the king also had spiritual responsibility. So he's not just leading the nation as a, as a political leader, as a, as a sovereign leader, but he's also leading them as a spiritual leader. He not only tore down the things that were wrong, doing away with the idolatrous things, but he also got rid of some spiritual clutter. That bronze snake, if you remember the story back in the book of Numbers where the children of Israel were, were coming through the Exodus and they were grumbling and because of their grumbling that they did all the time, serpents came and, and people were dying and they, they pled to God for relief and, and he, he had them make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and he said, if you look to that bronze serpent and trust me, by faith you'll be healed and God brought healing. They kept that serpent and somehow preserved it. It looked like about from the time of the Exodus till Hezekiah, about 700 years, they still have this bronze serpent. And in the day of Hezekiah, this was no longer a reminder, a symbol that they trusted God, but it was something they were burning incense to. They had made something good into an idol. This bronze snake that had been a picture of the Savior was now being worshipped as the Savior. This bronze snake that was lifted up to say, trust me, follow me, was now something that was getting in the way of the people of God following him. Sometimes in our churches, our programs, even things that were good at one time and once helped people become an end of themselves, they don't become a program or a ministry that functions really to lead people toward and through discipleship. Now, some of the things that we prayed about and we're prayerfully looking at, at, at focusing and eliminating some things on our calendar, they're going to be good things. But what we're trying to do is eliminate those unnecessary things in order to focus on the necessary. I was looking at a list recently of 10 dominant behaviors of inwardly focused churches. And I won't read you all 10, but there are three on that list. These inwardly focused churches become program-driven. The people get attitudes of entitlement and there's a greater concern about change than the gospel. My prayer is that we don't become that. That we don't be more concerned about what's being changed around me. And our main focus is let's be concerned about the gospel. Somebody's questioned, as we make these changes, are we going to abandon the scripture? No. Are we going to change our preaching? No. Are we going to change our Bible studies? No. We're going to still dig into the word in our small group ministry. We're going to do that. But we need to step back and say, let's not say it's all about me. I want to be concerned about the gospel and bringing people to Christ and leading them toward discipleship, as the Bible says, that they would be makers of disciples. So here, I'd like you to ask yourself a couple of questions here, three questions. Number one, am I clinging to a program, a ministry, or an event like the children of Israel were clinging to that serpent? Am I clinging to this ministry, program, or event where I'm not willing to let it go for the sake of the kingdom? Secondly, am I more concerned about change that is occurring around me than I am about the gospel? Do you know that in many churches you could get away with 
with watering down the gospel quicker than you could get away with changing something in the program and structure of the church? That's sad. Ask yourself, am I more concerned about changes around me than I'm about the kingdom? And then thirdly, could the things we're clinging to as a church or as individuals be competing with our church's commitment to be disciple makers? I'll let you answer those questions yourself. I have a garage at home that we don't park cars in. Anybody have one of those? I have saws and tools and all kinds of stuff on one side, and the other side is stuff. I don't know where this stuff comes from. We have it. So one side's stuff, the other side's mine. And I'll get involved in two or three or four projects and, and leave the stuff out on this workbench and on that workbench. And, that. and sometimes I go out to my workshop to do something. It may be something minor, maybe something major. And there's so much stuff out there, so many projects going on that I can't really do what I need to do. I really wish this table was clear so I could put that four by eight sheet of plywood on it so I could saw it without tripping over something. I sure wish that this, this counter right here was, was clear so that I could lay all those nuts and bolts out to, to look at them. And that sometimes I just have to stop and say, projects have to wait. I've got to spend some time getting rid of the clutter. And you know what? When I get rid of the clutter, it's amazing how well the projects go. That's what we're talking about. Sometimes the clutter is good stuff, but it's keeping us from being focused. So you got that word focus. Number four in your outline. Spiritual transformation occurs when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. When we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Zacchaeus responded by faith to Christ because the Spirit of God prompted him. And he, when he received Christ, was prompted to demonstrate that by saying, I'll pay back, I'll make right, I'll give restitution to those who I've wronged and offended. Spiritual transformation occurs when we come together and cooperate with God's Holy Spirit. Now, had the people who were keeping Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus cooperating, had they been cooperating, it might have been more like the story of the paralytic lowered through the roof. Remember that? Where the four friends came up and said, you know, we're going to help you get to Jesus. And they tore off the roof and they lowered him down. It's earlier in this, in this gospel. They were cooperating and said, Lord, we want to get this man to you. We're going to do whatever we have to do to get this man to you. They weren't in this passage, but had they been, it would have been a different story. I want you to write down this word, alignment. Alignment. That is arranging our ministries around the disciples' path, around our our process, our path of leading people to spiritual maturity. That's what we're going to be doing, trying to align everything. People say, well, pastor, what about this ministry? And we'll step back and say, let's talk about it. Is that aligning with our goal of leading people to be makers of disciples? That's a question we'll be asking over and over again. Tom Rainer says, in many churches, the original tools for life change have created too much clutter. Instead of uniting, they, they divide our focus. And these programs have become an end in themselves. They hide the necessary with the unnecessary. We need to say, let's make sure what we're doing aligns with God's purpose and God's plan for us as a church. Alignment. So spiritual transformation is contagious. I firmly believe, and we've said this over and over again, that the best days for Coastal Oaks are ahead of us. Because I believe as we we become more intentional about making disciples who make disciples, we'll see life transformation take place and people will want to know the same Christ we're being transformed by. Secondly, spiritual transformation results from us being intentional. Intentionality is so important and we're working toward that. Number three, spiritual transformation can be hindered by good people and good programs. 
Number four, we need to cooperate with the Spirit. And lastly, number five, spiritual transformation is personal and relational. Personal and relational. Zacchaeus could not get by on secondhand experience. He could not just say, I've heard all these stories about Jesus. And because I've heard about him, I'm going to heaven. No, he had to personally encounter the Savior. Jesus had to say to him, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house today. It was very personal. Let me say this to you. If you're an attender of Coastal Oaks Church, you may even be a member. But you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And yes, that can happen. You need to do that. It needs to be a personal encounter. When I watch my father in his, in his walk with Christ grow and become the spiritual leader of the home and lead my family in worshiping him, I realized that I couldn't get to heaven on my dad's experience. I had to make a commitment as a teenage, teenager of my own life to Christ. This, this transformation can only take place if you personally enter into that relationship with God through Christ. You can't get by on someone else's faith. Zacchaeus couldn't either. You couldn't just say, I know all about God. I've heard all the stories about God. You have to say, not only have I heard, but I've encountered him. And I know him personally. Listen, folks, God is never finished with us transforming us. He is constantly drawing people to the next place, the next stage, the next level of spiritual maturity. Always pulling us along. And it is his work in us and through us that's going to bring about the transformation that we can see Coastal Oaks becoming a church that is intentional about making disciples who make disciples. I mentioned last week an analogy about a tour guide versus a travel agent. Let me just kind of go back to that that analogy. Imagine you have made this decision that you're not going to just go on a whitewater rafting trip with a brochure and say, here's what I do. You're going to sign up with a tour guide. And you're going to go to this guy who knows the river because he's a river rat. He lives on the river. He knows every turn. He knows every corner. He knows every rapid. He knows every, every whirlpool. He knows every hole where you could get in trouble on the river. You go and you sign up with that guy who's a guide who knows the river. And the first thing they do is they put those rafts in the water where it's shallow and it's not moving very rapidly because if they threw you in the white water, it'd be over like that. And you you. You learn, first of all, with a little bit of instruction on how to sit on the raft and then how to sit in the raft. And so it's very calm and the raft's not even moving because you're right there on the shoreline. And then as you start to push out into the water and, and it's very slow, pretty much the tour guide's doing everything because he's got his, his uh, or his, his rudder and he's steering the raft through these calm waters. And you're getting to know the other people in the raft. You're telling life stories. You're sharing why you came there, how you got to the, to the place where you could be on the raft with them. And then once you've shared life stories and, and understood a little about, about what it means to move through swifter water, you pick up an oar and you begin to contribute by oaring, by, by rowing, oaring, by rowing with your oar with the rest of the group. There's, and teamwork comes into the picture. And then you hit the white water. And by this time, you've, you've had the instruction. You've learned from the instructor. You've sat in the shallow water. You've scooted through the slow water. And you've gotten to know your team and you're working together as one cohesive unit. Then you hit the white water. And when you hit the white water, it's when you need to be participating because it's real. Because it's not up to the, the guide now to steer that raft. It's up to every person in that raft with an oar to make sure that that raft goes where it needs to go. And you finish the trip and you go through the white water 
and it's exciting, and you come back and you go home, what do you do? You tell everybody about that whitewater rafting trip. Now, we have done that in a sense by just throwing people in the raft and saying, go. And some have made it through the whitewater. But what we want to do is say to people, here's where you start. We need to get in the raft where it's low and slow. You need to learn what it means to be in a whitewater raft. You need to get acquainted with the other people in your raft. It's called a small group. And you need to do life together. And as the challenges come and you begin to grow and you begin to take ownership and you begin to become more than just a contributor, become an active participant in what's going on, that's when discipleship takes place. That's what we're trying to do. It's simply to be more intentional about making people who make disciples. I pray that you're on board for this, that you're in the raft with us, because it's going to be a good journey. Let's pray together.